0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. Uh, I think we've got a fun one here. I'm going to do a lot of drinking. I don't know what Dan's going to do, um, <laughs> but uh, Garrett Major, packaging consultant, we'll talk about some of the companies he's worked for in a second. Uh, we're going to talk a little about the um, beverage bottle industry. I don't know if I've ever uh, conjugated that phrase together, but uh, I think I just did. Garrett, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, Cal. Hey, Dan. How you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely happy to be here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sure. Thing. Thanks for, uh, for taking some time to, uh, educate us, I guess, uh, would be a fair way to look at it. Uh, I am in, in no way an engineer, uh, Dan sure the hell isn't an engineer. So, uh, but before we get into some of the labels, some of the folks that you're working with, uh, you want to kind of set us up with, uh, how did Garrett get into the, uh, package consulting industry
1: business? Yeah, it's really funny. So, um, uh, and it sounds crazy because everybody has their little career story and how they got into what they do for a living. But uh, when I was in high school, my dad came to me and said, hey, there's these people called packaging engineers. It sounds really odd, but they make a lot of money. They're able to probably work wherever they want to. You should check it out. Um, and so I grew up in a small rural town in Indiana. You know, nothing going on, but we actually had... Um, my, my school where I went to college, Indiana state, our only claim to fame is number 33. If you know who I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, Larry Bird. So, Mm uh, long story short, they had a packaging engineering degree, uh, figured out that it was very interesting in the fact that most people would think boxes. Well, when I look at anything, I hold up a, a bottle and say, it's a package It holds something. Right. So, um, when I started in, you know, School. I worked at a lot of different industries all across the board, from like automotive, pharmaceuticals, and and when I left uh, college, my first actually stint in the packaging industry was funny enough doing private label cosmetics, so like eyeliners and lipsticks. So. Did that for like six years. Traveled overseas. Had an expat position in Germany, and always been a fan of obviously bourbon and spirits. Um, happened to get a call from Jim Beam one day. Beam sorry, and they called me and said, "Hey, we got a position in Frankfurt, Kentucky, at their largest bottling facility, and they said um, we need somebody there to to handle all the packaging for new product innovation plus anything day to day." So. Talked to my wife and said, I think uh, bourbon sounds a little more interesting than uh, cosmetics. And that, that was all she wrote. So <laughs> um, did that for three years and then um, transitioned from there basically into the glass slash bottle industry. And now focusing as a consultant for Tricole Braun, um with a lot of different companies. So I handle distilleries all across the southeast um, in Kentucky still so and kind of all across America. So we have a kind of dedicated team that handles that. So... Um, Dealing with obviously all the guys you know, um, probably I've, I've touched them or talked to them, um, and we're trying to get bottles for them, corks, labels, everything you name it to make sure it shows up on your shelf and you can actually buy it, right? So that's 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 me in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, so cheers to that! Cheers to you! Uh, absolutely. What are you drinking today, by the way? So, you know, I have all my beam stuff, obviously. I have all my, you know, my, my little section over here I'm looking at. But uh, I, funny enough, I wanted to try something maybe. Have you heard of Anita's Choice before? I have not. So this is Burnt Church Distillery in Bluffton, South Carolina, outside of Hilton Head. Yeah. Um, great people. Awesome. Awesome place to visit. It's an amazing little little place to go to. It's got, um, I mean, probably one of the most beautiful distilleries I've actually seen, to be honest. So, yeah, check them out. This product is very, very good. As you can tell, if I've been drinking it, it's, it's pretty good. So. Nice.
0: Relatively new, I guess.
1: Yeah, so they they started about a year ago, as far as like having the uh, the the distillery open up. Um, but it's man, it's a staple if you're in Hilton Head or in that area. If you're about, if you're on a golf trip, perfect idea, idea to come over there and definitely spend a spend a few hours. Good good yeah. good vibe for sure.
0: Yeah, good. Uh, th- thanks for dropping that, Burt church distillery, right. by the way, no free ads to burnt church. So, uh, <laughs> DM, uh, drop something in the comments. Uh, we'll get an address over to you and maybe we'll have you on the show. So there you go. Okay. So Garrett, you, you, um, you gave a lot, you gave us a lot of stuff to unpack. And I, I think that, you know, that the, the, uh, kind of the norm, right. If you're talking about bourbon or spirits, what have you, I mean, it's, you know, y- you kind of get to, the the foundation, right, or, or or where things start. So we're talking about grain, we're talking about water, then we're in the distillate, and then hey, it just gets bottled, then it shows up on the shelf. And over the past uh, what couple of years, uh, you know, burnt church being an, an example. I mean, there's no shortage of craft distilleries opening up. Uh, there, you know, I, I don't want to say a dime a dozen. That probably discounts, uh, you know, some of some of what's happening. But you know, and and then you know, with the pandemic and the supply chain challenges that we're having, I mean, that you know, things are definitely, uh, you know, it's it. There's a lot of stuff that's not on the shelf today. So you know, from a So, from a packaging consultant or engineer, what's your all's kind of play in that, and you know why can't we find stuff on the shelf?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. You know, it's funny. I did a uh, we there was a conference for distillers in uh, Lexington that the Jim Beam Institute at in in UK or at the UK um, College of I think it's it's an agriculture college. They put on a few months ago, and I spoke at it about packaging and exactly that. And it's funny because you know, in that industry, like you said, everybody focuses on the product because the liquid is so important, right? I mean, if you don't have good liquid, then it doesn't matter. But let's be honest, we we scan the aisles, right? And you might not know what's in there, but you look at that and go, that is a very neat bottle and you grab it and it might stink. But at the end of the day, you bought the bottle, right? So um, I always tell, you know, my distillery partners and different folks, they always seem to, a lot of the newer ones tend to 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 kind of, what I would say is, you know, forget about, that's the mo- one of the most important things. So they get their liquid right, they get everything right. And then all of a sudden they're sitting there going, oh, I need a bottle and where do I find it? So that is one of the biggest, I would say challenges for a new distiller. And like you said, when they're starting out, they might have something really great. And then all of a sudden, oh no, I got to find something. So I, you know, Right now with obviously anything in supply chain it's a challenge. But seeing that the majority of, you know, the higher premium, you know, bourbons and, and different whiskeys are in glass bottles, right? And and most of them pretty intricate glass bottles, there's only a select few of manufacturers around, you know, definitely North America, but also the world that you can really get a high quality bottle. So with that, you know, taking that into consideration, it's been incredibly difficult because those folks are getting all the big guys, right, coming straight at them and saying, I need more of this. I need more of this. I need more of this. So as the Beams and the Diageos and the Camparis and everybody just overloads those places, the little guys kind of get squeezed and they go, OK, I got to find whatever I can put this in. Um, So, yeah, so you'll see, you know, you'll see shortages from the big guys, right? I'm sure everybody's seen a staple where they're like, you know, not that Buffalo trace allocation is probably because Sazerac, you know, is having bottle shortages, but it also could be, too. That's another thing. You might just think that everybody's buying it now for the heck of it, but it also could be they can't make enough bottles. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it's, it's a constant thing that's causing a lot of issues and, you know, you're seeing people just throw stuff in whatever at this point. I mean, if they have a custom model and the, and the, you know, factory said so they won't get it for eight months, they're going, I'll go to the first thing I can find to get product out there. Cause no, no sales tanks them. Right. So.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the most—I uh, I don't know if it's most interesting, but an interesting, uh, you know, occurrence that happened. So, uh, you're, you're familiar with smoke wagon, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And 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 they, you know, uh, Aaron elected to go with the uh, the smoked bottle, if you will, or you know, the brown bottle, not clear. And uh, probably early 21, maybe mid 21, he switched over and the uncut unfiltered, all of a sudden it shows up and it's in a clear bottle. Right. So everybody's like, oh, my God, I got to go buy it. And you know, and I'm sure you follow him on uh, on his social channels. Yep. Right. And he, he came on and he's like, hey, no reason to go don't rush out and buy all the bottles up off the shelf this is short term they're out of the the it's a amber amber bottle like like an amber bottle
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah so the you know whatever the manufacturer out of the amber bottles i got liquid got to get it in a bottle and they they can produce the clear one so we're going clear right now and, but it's the same shit. Like, don't freak out. Don't go crazy on me. So I thought that was an interesting one. And then, uh, friends of the show at uh, Broad Branch Distilling, uh, they kind of did the same thing, right? They went, uh, their their traditional or, or flagship bottle is kind of that, uh, is a, a brandy bottle Yeah. and shortage. So they went now to kind of a shorter, squattier bottle temporarily. It's going to go back to that. So, and in, in, let me, let me kind of back up a little bit and talk about what you're actually doing because I think, Saying that you're providing the bottles might be short selling it. I mean, when I'm, you know, when I'm calling saying, hey, here's what I got. Here's what I'm looking for. Now, I probably have an idea of what I want the bottle to look like. Or can I call and say, I have no idea what I want. Uh, You come help me and tell me what I'm actually looking for
1: absolutely so yeah that's the exact thing i have with every single one of my new customers um even the existing ones that maybe are putting a new line in you know i'll tell them first okay you know when we sit down it's it's the fact of you know how many cases how many bottles first are you thinking that you're going to have obviously it's all based on liquid aging right so they kind of have an idea like okay i got this many barrels of liquid so i'm probably going to you know contribute this many this many bottles right so When we go from there, I go, okay, first, you know, does it make sense to go custom, right? Or does it make sense to go stock, right? Because at the end of the day, in today's inflated world, back in the day, you could almost get any custom thing you wanted, 10,000 bottles, 20,000 bottles. Now it's a little bit more complex with the international supply chain and just different things with Asia and everything like that. So, you know, any more... I would say most of those folks are starting to go, okay, let's get a common bottle. Let's really differentiate the label. Let's make a cork really interesting. Let's put it in a bag. Let's put it in a box. Let's, let's do something different than everybody else is doing. Right. Um, and that's kind of the decisions they make. Now, if you're in the range of like, okay, I got enough volume or I'm, I'm ready to kind of make myself, you know, known on the shelf, make an iconic model, whatever, then we got to go through that design process. Right. And, and sometimes they come to you with, Hey, this inspiration, that inspiration, sometimes they're like, I don't have a clue. So we then get our design teams involved, sit down, have a design session. Our team goes back, gives them five examples. We shorten that to two, we shorten that to one. Um, and then once we finally go, okay, that's the one, you know, then we go into the the process of obviously getting the, who's going to run it. Where can we find it? Who's the right partner for it? Um, which factory of ours that we're going to utilize. Right. Um, and so it's, yeah there's a very it's kind of more complex than most people think right i mean i think when you're a consumer it's easy to just think that it just all happens but uh there's a lot of blood sweat and tears from all sides that goes into that and for your example about your you know broad branch and those it's painful because you get on shelf in a current model right and you hope that that model is able to be to be you know procured all the time And then all of a sudden boom COVID supply chain whatever hits and okay now i got to change my whole game and Then customers are confused, but I think ultimately, you know, if you have a good product, people know it, if you market it well, you know, um, you'll be okay, but it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough environment out there right now, for sure.
0: Yeah. It's it's a kind of the I mean is it do you ever have somebody that comes in and they already know what they want they they like I just need a manufacturer and like hey here here's what I'm looking for can you know and I'm sure people are putting out bids or RFPs or whatever you want to call it and yeah, kind of going yeah. through that process but um, but but is it is it more common than not that somebody knows what they want or is it a pretty healthy mix.
1: I think it's a healthy mix. I mean, I think it's funny. I think there's a little mix of both where you kind of bring some people back down to earth. Unfortunately, you know, they have this whole high, you know, I want this, I want that. And then you go, well, and then you kind of, and you don't want to be the no, the the no man, but you also want them to be able to get ultimately what they want without having a lot of issues. Right. So it's, it's kind of combining all of those things in reality and trying to tell them, Hey, listen, this is what I think. It's why I'm a consultant. That's why my name, you know, it's in my title because I'm trying to get them the best solution for their brand without, you know, causing them more disruption than they really need or more cost. because with everything that's very unique and intricate, um, I mean, I'm thinking of a prime example, right? Like the Willett bottle, the IW Harper square 15, I mean, those bottles are incredibly difficult to make, right? And only a certain amount of people can make them. And then you can kind of put, put yourself in a, a little box, right? To where you can't, um, you're kind of boxing into one supplier. So yeah, there's a lot involved in that for sure.
0: I mean, some of those things, you know, I'm just looking and thinking, you know, it's mentioned in the box, right? And you, I mean, think about, you know, Booker's and, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Willet, right? I mean, probably, I mean, one of the coolest, well, I, I don't know if it's the coolest, but it's a cool looking model. Let's face it, right? The pot still. and But holy shit, is that thing horrible, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't terrible on your on shelf. shelf. It's,
1: yeah, exactly. If you can't find anywhere to put it, I'm looking at mine right now, and, and I really don't like where it is. But it's like, I got to put it there, you know? It's like... <laughs> But uh, no, I I got a great story about Booker's from my time at Beam, which is funny. You know, Booker did that, which I did get to try some like nineteen eight. I don't know when he first started. One of his first runs of Booker's, a guy of mine about four years ago that I knew, vintage dusty collector, had a bottle in the coffin, in the coffin box of Booker's, and yeah. oh my gosh, it was like. <laughs> Unbelievable, unbelievable. (laughs) But anyway, um, you know, obviously he just did that with any no intentions of marketing or anything at all. But the funny part about that whole thing is, as it transposed and became kind of a top more top shelf bourbon, well, it's hilarious that. You you have to put it on the top shelf because the box is so big it, it makes it but anywhere
0: shelf. else. Yeah. yeah, so
1: so it kind of became a marketing thing, and marketing obviously at Bean loved it because okay, we automatically have to be on there. The other funny part is how many bars in America have you been in where they use it for napkin holders and straw holders? And mm-hmm. I, I laugh because that just happened. I feel like naturally, and oh my god, now they got a full advertisement for free. I mean, it, it sits on the bars everywhere you go. So. It's a pretty interesting thing how some of those, you know, you would assume somebody in a marketing department probably said, "Hey, this is what's going to happen," but sometimes it just happens naturally and it's kind of interesting, right?
0: So, oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that that's called uh being
0: a creative small business in some cases and uh, utilizing your resources, right? So, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Up, sure. Upcycling, upcycling. Um, so what's, uh, so let's talk a little bit about kind of industry, like what's happening. And I'm looking across from me and there's, you know, I've got, there's, there's bottles, bottles of all sizes. Wait, you got Uh, more
1: bottles in front of you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, That's yeah. I mean, if I spin you around the room, it's like yeah. You're like, whoa, man. You really, you really don't have a drinking problem. You have a problem. Like, yeah. hey, well, I've got a buying problem. I don't have a drinking <laughs> problem. That, that that's the issue. Um, but I, so I've got a, a bottle with a golf ball on top of it. I've got horses on top of it. I've got elks on top of it. So. What, what do you think the trend is going to be in, you know, in, in forward looking because, you know, we, we could be something just as simple as this, which I think I heard that are they discontinuing this product?
1: Man, I when I, I was, a I would say I've been out of Beam now at least two and a half, three years and about three years ago, or my first, I think one of my first days at Beam that was being talked about. And I, it's never been discontinued because I think the consumer base likes it enough that they don't want to. So I don't, I okay. don't know. Your guess is as good as mine.
0: Okay. So, it's, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's kind of out there floating around the rumor mill. So whoever started it, they're doing a hell of a job. I wish they'd talk about the show.
1: It's like it's like like old granddad one fourteen. That was like the one that was going to die like ten years ago, and it just it just keeps coming on. So I I don't know. That that's always so funny.
0: Yeah. So what's I I guess what's your role from a from a a package consultant, right? In in kind of shaping the market, driving the market, kind of leading people, you know, in in what the future of packaging looks like, because you know i don't want to say that things aren't going to change but you know as we you know as, as as things evolve and things move forward and we start to get used to kind of the new norm it's probably going to be the case right and if you want to use the word inflation i mean fair enough and and again you know everything that touches the liquid uh, before there's a transaction, right? I mean, it, the, there, there's a cost associated with that, and you know we, the, yeah, we could look at the secondary market and see what those prices are. None of us want to be in that position uh, that that's where you know the prices of, of, of whiskey keeps going. So I guess what's your play or, or your uh, advocacy on? Hey, here's how we keep things reasonable, and here's how we kind of drive the you know drive where the packaging is going in in the industry
1: you know yeah it's very interesting and a good question because i you know in my opinion just knowing the companies as i know them obviously being in a large one dealing with the smaller mid-sized ones you know obviously they're getting squeezed on all ends right grain goes up you know liquid go everything goes up right so barrels go up so that cost goes somewhere right ultimately comes down to us those consumers as we all know with the way inflation works um but your your statement is clear in a sense that you know I feel like a lot of those companies now are looking, how do I cut costs? Now, if I have an iconic package like the one you were talking about with the golf ball and, you know, some different things, it's tough It's tough to put that out there and then reel it back in and say, okay, yeah, we're going to go to a Nordic, you know, uh, absolute style bottle and put our product out there. But I think for those that are kind of looking how they value chain their packaging and try to You know, can we cut costs here? Can we cut costs there? Most of the time what I've seen is what I call consolidation, which means let's say you go to a distillery and they got a vodka in this crazy bottle. They got this in that bottle this in that bottle. A lot of those folks are kind of coming and saying, listen, maybe we buy one bottle, differentiate differentiate it all together. Um, If I have three different bourbon expressions in different bottles, let's just do one bottle and keep those different lines in the same bottle. So I'm seeing more of that happening, I would say, from a consolidation standpoint. Um, But on the other side of things, you know, I'm... I'm thinking it's definitely going to come down to where you'll start seeing more common looking, but like you think behind you, I see Penelope, right? It's a fine example, right? They they seem to do a great job in that, you know, obviously you guys would think of it as the antique collection bottle, but the tall style and there's vodkas in that bottle. There's tons of stuff in that bottle, very good bottle to kind of go out there. And as long as your product's good and your marketing's good and your I mean, people are buying it, right? And I don't think for them it's perfect. It's a smart idea, in my opinion. I mean, it's a great idea because they can get that bottle from a variety of sources, which helps ultimately us consumers out because they can get the best price, right? So I think that's, I think the consolidation factor is going to happen a lot. And I think the big guys will still do what the big guys do. I mean, they have the money, they have the, uh, um, let's say, the, the eyes and ears of the larger suppliers. So if they say, I want, like Jack Daniels, I think just announced a new custom bottle. I mean, they're going to get whatever they want. You know, they're going to go pay for it, and they're going to get it. But the little guys, it'll be tougher, right? It'll just be a little tougher.
0: Yeah, I was just looking. Since you mentioned that, I just picked up the Jack Daniels Bonded. Yeah, that, that bottle. It. But, but it's it's not a new – yeah, it's in the same bottle. So they did not change that one yet.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I thought I saw a picture of it. So, yeah, I thought that there was some embossing or something on the front. But, uh, yeah, all in all – uh, Picture. But you, but you think about Blanton's, though. I mean, that – yeah, see, it is a different bottle. That that, top, that that that. Oh, and, oh yeah, and, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, but you, be, but isn't that so funny, right? It's like, they probably could have probably just stuck it in the normal bottle, but because they got, they can do whatever they want to, they got the capacity to go out there and get a, you know, add some embossing and do some funky stuff, you know? So
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that's, but I think the bottle shape is the same. Yeah. But it's, exactly. Uh, yeah. The yeah. embossing and stuff that's on the, uh, that's on the, that's in the actual, or blown in
1: the actual bottle. So well, now the Brown Foreman uh, marketing department hates you because you said, oh, it's the same bottle. See, so it doesn't really I, matter. <laughs> And they could somebody have saved just a lot got, of money. They could have somebody just didn't money. get somebody to
0: get a raise, you know. They're like, "Hey, man, we told you we didn't need that new bottle." Uh, but,
1: Blanton, but you think about iconic packages, right? Blanton's, right? So yeah. they don't they don't care about value chaining that package. Obviously, if anybody's been on the tour there, they're going to do it that way all the time. They could try to expand that, but. What I love about that is, it's like that is the package. This is how we do it, and we're going to do it that way. Similar to Maker's Mark, you know, they're always going to hand dip those bottles. I mean, they could easily put a robot in there and try to say that it's not. But to their to their uh, credit, they're anal about that happening and making sure that it's a hand dipped wax. And every wax is different, right? I mean, so there is some goods. Uh, I say good things about even the larger guys that they try to keep that same mentality on some products, right? So, yeah, sure. What do you think about like, um, you see some more revitalization of brands? I think Cal would like an old Forester be a good one where they kind of redid
0: all the bottles in the line or whatnot. And then are more companies going to see more and more of that, of some of these older lines just getting revitalized? Uh Is it good for the industry? What are some of your thoughts along that?
1: No, I i am a huge fan of that so during my time at Beam, um the factory that i was the most responsible for was actually the old granddad distillery um originally so that being an iconic property there in frankfurt right it's like at that time the distillery was still there ultimately they had to um, i think tear it down because just safety concerns and asbestos and all that good stuff it just couldn't be saved they weren't distilling out of it anyway right so um, got a little tour of it though, before it got torn down, before I left Beam it was pretty neat. Still had open lab books and really, you know, it looked like literally one day somebody was in there and the next day they just left, which is really interesting. Um, but no, ultimately like, you know, when I was there, we started finding like some older books and different things from national distillers. Right. Um, which I didn't even realize the story of National Distillers. And so I started, I'm a big history buff. So when we found a lot of those documentations and different things, we didn't, you know, I I really was blown away with, you know, after Prohibition, basically they put that whole whiskey trust together and they owned about 60% of the nation's whiskey coming out of Prohibition. So they were just out there making money like hand over fist you know, old Taylor, uh, you know, old granddad, um, trying to think who else, I mean, old crow, right. All those brands. Um, I think it's really neat that all of those are kind of starting to get a more revitalization and that history is coming back because there's so many of those brands that just got shoved to the bottom shelf, right? It's like, there they are. And they're really iconic brands that I think have a good story, a lot of history. And so I'm, I'm excited for that. I think it's a really cool thing that the industry's doing. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I think some folks are following suit, right? even the bigger names. I mean, you can see the the benchmark behind me, right? And think that, I mean, as soon as I see like that whole, that lineup, I mean, I do, you know, that's old Forrester. I started thinking about maybe uh, um, not pin hook. I guess that's the wrong vertical to say, but I, I mean, I think it's kind of fun to bring those back and see those different expressions, especially from, you know. With benchmark being what it is, and you know, you can for a hundred bucks, you can get all all the bottles, and you can kind of go through the lineup yeah. and uh, do a little taste test. So,
1: and, and like chicken, for example, that chicken cock bottle that's so interesting, right? That really, so that bottle, I'll never forget when we saw it. We found a lot of those old, yeah. um, basically bankers' boxes of labels from the. It's called the American Medicinal Spirits Company before it was National Distillers in like a 1910 little label book so packaging right but a label book it had the original chicken cock little, little logo label and i just thought that was so crazy because i didn't realize that was an old brand obviously revitalized it which is i i think it's super neat i'm excited i think there's another distillery um i don't know if it's outside of bardstown is it tw samuels or something yep. i've seen that that's neat i've heard those guys are trying to really make that thing something interesting so Um, problem is with Castle and Key, right? Old Taylor distillery, like folks like that, it takes so much money to go in there and and revitalize those places that are basically at at one point was, you know, archaic and apocalyptic. And then you got to go in there and spend a ton of money, but I'm glad they're doing it. I mean, it's really neat for the industry. I think.
0: Yeah, it's always good to uh, be able to go back and revisit, and yeah, I, I'm on your side, right? And I mean, just in in what you know Bardstown is in itself, and you know the tourist and the tourist industry, and the uh, you know, the the bourbon boom that's uh, that continues to occur, right? I mean, every, all eyes are on uh, uh, keep uh, keep investing because good good things are coming and good things are going to happen. So, um, so have- what's, uh, she – any good. Good. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I was gonna go, no, off, no, go. I was gonna go with a Kerbal Cup question here. If what's like the most innovative bottle that you've seen? So, if Elon Musk was gonna invent a bourbon bottle, what what would it be?
1: Oh my God. And I, I don't even know what to say, dude. I'm like, it, obviously we know what Jeff Bezos' spaceship looks like. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know what his will be, but, um, Elon, you know, as crazy as he is, I don't know what he would do, but, um, no, I, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think of during my time at beam, I, I will, I will give a funny story. It's not innovative, but, um, just kind of some of the internal battles you have with like marketing, right. And, different things like that uh you know we come in and we're kind of not the no men but we're kind of like reality and we say hey this isn't going to run on the line well if you've ever seen the new knob creep bottle and i don't even know if most people know it's new but it is a little bit different it looks a little bit more premium mm-hmm. than the older one if you can see a difference um, it's got some embossing just like that jack daniels when we just saw but I'll never forget when that project first started, I said, why are we changing this? I'm like, it sells like gangbusters. There's nothing you're going to do to increase the sales here. Marketing just wants to mess with it. Well, ultimately, I left Beam, and I'll never forget, like, about a probably six months later, I went into a liquor store, and I saw it, and I was like, okay, that looks really good. You know, that's a really <laughs> nice-looking bottle. And so it kind of humbled me a little bit, and I was like, I remember all those those conversations, like, why are we doing this? But ultimately, there is some things that happen with that that make it look you know very interesting. but um you know at beam i'm I'm trying to think if there was anything I worked on at Beam that I felt like was super you know crazy, but to be honest with you, um you know Sazerac kind of does not, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what brands do really, really innovative things i mean there's uh there's a few, but a lot of them are just subtle changes, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not super um but yeah, as innovative as it gets. Is as complicated as it gets on my end, so I'm just <laughs> glad I stayed, I stayed away. Yeah, you give me that, you give me that I.W. Harper bottle. I'm running away. I'm mm-hmm. just literally. I mean, it looks fantastic. It looks like a decanter. I mean, but all of those. In, I mean, it's a mess. Can imagine having to deal with that. So,
0: so I think that bottle's done. The it, all the. The new, well, the new make that I see, uh, or new new bottles that are I see on the shelf, it is no longer that uh I know a diamond cut yeah. bottle, I guess is what you would call it. Yeah, I, I don't see, I do see them on the shelf, but I also you know see right beside of it, it's uh, it, it no longer exists. So I, yeah. I don't know if that's uh you know if, is that a a casualty of. Um, you know, chain, shortage, sh- shortages, or <laughs> is that a, Hey, which again, I kind of double-edged, right? I mean, while yes, we may be making that change, but since we're making that change, do we want to go back to, uh, you know, that, uh, that bottle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could look at it kind of both ways and, you know, some positives and how, well, how do you take the negative if you will, and turn it into a positive, right? So
1: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some definitely good iconic bottles out there though, that I think, uh, or uh, coming. Out. I mean, I, I would say that bushwood bottle you were talking about with the golf, uh, with the with the cork, with the golf ball. I mean, that's really neat. I mean, it looks it's an iconic little whiskey thing. But I guess the biggest thing I laugh about because one one of my colleagues one time said, you know, when we when they describe what we do in packaging, they were like, we basically make trash. And I laugh because it's like <laughs> it's kind of true, right? Because everybody gets the packaging. They're like, okay, crap. What do we do with it? You throw it away. Similar issue with all of these nice whiskey bottles where you're kind of just sitting there. Like I know there's people making lamps out of them and whatever else, but it's like, you almost feel bad. You get a Blanton's bottle. You're like, you know, I just—I guess I throw it away, but you feel bad throwing it away, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's
0: well, then, then you got the then you got the other side, right? Somebody on eBay or Facebook that's—you know—he's he, buying your bottle, or they're buying your bottle and they're refilling it with uh, oh, you oh know boy. twelve dollars $12 swill and then turning around and selling it. So that's a good
1: seg- <laughs> that's a good segue to what well, we do too. I mean, there's a lot of that conversation on counterfeiting, right? And how you try to try to battle that, um, it's, it's super difficult. Um, you know, there's different things now that packaging wise, you can actually put different RFID codes on labels and bottles to know, you know, when it was filled, maybe when it was put through circulation. I mean, there's little things that are starting to come out there, but obviously like the Pappy situation, you know, some people somehow find those, what I call capsules, which are, you know, what you tear off when you get one. Somehow they find those and re-put those on and make it... I mean, it's amazing what some of these folks go into detail with to try to make a buck, right? But.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait until you see Dan's Rolex. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> It, it doesn't I, work half the time, but it kind of looks real if you. Uh, if hey, when I was way, in so. when
1: I was in Hong Kong uh, for business, when I was in the cosmetic industry in China a lot, it was so funny. They're like, go down this back alley, go to this corner. There's where all the person. There's some guy in there with like a bazillion purses, and right. you're like, am I gonna get in trouble at the airport if I buy one of these for my wife? <laughs> so funny.
0: Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to remove that part, Dan, because now oh, she no. just found out she oh, got. Oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not good. Uh, say oh. So, so let's stay there for a second because, yeah. So we um, we actually had uh, you know the the guy, the investigative reporter Brett, that you know, kind of broke me. the Pappygate, yeah, yeah, that broke the papygate story down. We had him on, kind of talking through a lot of that stuff. And yeah, that to your point, I mean that's kind of the big thing, and and not just in in whiskey, but uh, pharmaceuticals. It's a big play there. And how do you you know how do you keep things kind of uh, serialized, if you will, so you know you know what's happening. So health and, and so where does that sit? Does that sit in a company like yourself that's going to kind of help to uh, to facilitate that process? I mean, obviously, the manufacturers or the distilleries, you know, they're going to be the ones that ultimately have to buy in, ultimately assume the cost and uh, both cost of the product and cost of um, uh, assembly, if that's you know, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. but w- what role do you play in it? And when does that actually become a reality? Now, again, if I'm drinking, you know, devil's cut, I probably don't need it. Right. And unless, and we probably don't want to get down this road, but you know, then do we get into some uh, I'm I'm going to use the word safety, but you know, it's to, to make sure that again, it's just because I can get this on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean if I could buy it for fifteen bucks less, I wouldn't go do it. I mean, it's cheap enough as it is, but somebody's probably spending, you know, less money than going and buying it at a retail store. So I guess what what's your uh, what's your take on that and what's the, you know, your are in your industry, what part do you play?
1: Yeah. So uh when I was you know going through school, I did an internship in the pharmaceutical industry. So that was huge. About I mean I guess it'd have been around two thousand eight, two thousand nine um talking about that serialization and we were talking about in brazil trying to make you know counterfeit labels where the label has something on it that you know that that's what it is and obviously tamper evidency you and know, all that good stuff tylenol obviously is the big packaging story but I just say you know that was how packaging came to the map because once that tylenol issue happened everybody went crazy on packaging and tamper evidency right. um but yeah same situation so i think that kind of what's been going on in the pharmaceutical industry forever is probably going to start transitioning to some of those more premium products slash brands. I mean, similar to Apple, right? I mean, you could probably go on Facebook marketplace now and find how many AirPod pros you want for $50 a piece. You're going, yeah, I don't think those are right. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's similar to that though. And it's how do you, you know, okay. The problem also is in my opinion, the three tiered system, because without that direct from distillery sell you don't know how long it's been in distribution, right? So how long has it sat on the retail shelf? How long has it sat in the distribution or distribution area? So it's like, it's easy to think like I could, you know, take my phone on a QR code on the bottle, for example, and say, okay, this bottle was made at a certain time. Well, that bottle might not get filled for six months. So then it was like, when was it filled? Okay. Well, maybe there, maybe there could be information added to that by the distiller that says I filled it on this date. Well then ultimately if it sat on the shelf for two years because obviously it didn't move, well then you know, can the consumer do it and go, Well, it's two years old, do you think this is fake or not? You know what I mean? It's it's just it's a very difficult situation to figure out how to make sure that you know number one what you're getting and that it hasn't been tampered with, but also kind of having that data and I think it's gonna be more IT driven in my opinion. I think there's gonna be ways to That the label on there tells you when it was made. Somehow that label then gets scanned by distribution so they know when it's in distribution. Label gets scanned again when it goes to the on prem or the liquor store, right? So you know when it's there, you know? So there's things point of sale happens so you know it's already been point of sale. I think it's going to be more IT driven, in my opinion, is kind of what I think is going to be the future. Um, but it's good. It needs to happen though because no one wants to you know have an issue like that where you like you said you have six dollar uh, bourbon in a in a you know rip 10 or a Pappy fifteen bottle i mean that's I, yeah, I feel you just bought the, have spelt the bottle understand. at that point so yeah. <laughs> so in yeah, the yeah, secondary yeah. market you know it's just tough right the secondary market you know i don't know I've, I've obviously not been really into the secondary market since it um died on facebook i missed that by the way r.i.p uh what was it bourbon secondary market BSM. right uh, <laughs> man miss those days those are good days
0: oh i don't know yeah that that's uh, that's a little too steep for my budget i don't uh I, I don't get into those uh, those secondary. Is there, is there still
1: a market, by the way? Now, Do, Is there still different sites that people get on? I don't even know anymore. I don't even get into it anymore. But
0: somewhere, um, I I'm, don't. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. That, yeah, I'm sure there's one out there. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, typically, if I'm I'm usually not looking for a bottle. Most of the time, it's somebody calling, you know, hitting me up saying, "Hey, I'm looking for this. Uh, you know, I've I've got three of the four uh, B-Tacks and it's my 40th birthday coming up, and I, you know, I want to get them all. Uh, can you hook me up?" And I'm like, "I can't hook you up, but I probably can get you in touch with someone." Uh, after that, you're on your own, and uh, you know, I don't set the prices. So, well, I have my one
1: my one bottle, Cal. If you ever come. Across- Across it, you message me first, and I will say. And this is not being a beam Homer, by the way, but I, Booker's Rye. It's just my, it's my all time. Like it's my number one. Mm. You tell me I can't have anything. Booker's ride. That's it. Love it.
0: Uh, is is that bottle gone? Or well, you it was. It's a, it? Uh,
1: well, yeah, it's gone. Unfortunately, um, you know they tell you you're supposed to enjoy it with friends and family, and I enjoyed it with friends about five years ago, and I really wish I wouldn't have enjoyed it with friends because. <laughs> I have like a little 375 ml that's this full just because I took a little bit left just for myself and it's sitting on my shelf and I'm just like, I I can't drink it. It just (laughs) pains me. But no, have you heard the story behind that? Right. That was the last liquid basically Booker No ever laid down. And so they're never, I mean, maybe they'll come back with one that's very close, but I I don't, after having that, I don't think there's, I mean, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. It's
0: so good. Yeah. Um, well, not not of in, in the uniqueness of what it was, right? I mean, that uh, you can't uh, can't repeat that. I don't know. There may be a bottle in a warehouse somewhere, or a
1: barrel in a warehouse. Oh, and that happens. Even my time at Beam, it happened more often than you think. I laugh when you go. You would go to the we go to the Rick houses, different places, and somebody would go, "Oh yeah, that barrel down there." You know, we haven't told anybody about that one. You know, and uh, it was funny. We did an innovation project one time. It was, we got in little teams, and we we're supposed to like in the R and D team try to. You know, pitching innovation. People were doing like crazy vodka stuff. And my team and I were like, we're going bourbon. And it just gave me an excuse to start going to all the Rick Houses and being like, well, pull this barrel because we want the 10 year old old granddad uncut. You know, it's like, <laughs> so we, so I, I have like one bottle of our little innovation thing that's still waxed over here. And I'm like, haven't opened it yet. But, uh, I'm like that's a that was a fun project. <laughs>
0: nice. I know. I'm I'm waiting on like uh, the opportunity to do a, a old granddad barrel
1: pick, you know, a uh, 114 barrel pick. Well, I the old- well, when you come down here and play Tinderlo, as we've discussed in the past, you need to come down play the golf course. We'll do a little tasting. I do have about a few bottles of that. So, oh, something-
0: there we go. Uh, so so another g- good good segue, Garrett. Uh, so let's uh, let's. There's plenty of golf. So for those of you that are listening, we've held up a few bottles. I think we tried to mention most of them. And uh, but if you can't see Garrett's background, he's got oh, yeah. three golf courses that I can see. If, now, if I were really uh, into golf course architecture, I could probably tell you what those were. The one on the in the middle is that? is it Pebble Beach?
1: Oh no, it's Augusta. Okay. Are they all Augusta? No, Augusta National, Kinderloo, which is my golf course. And I got Marion on the other side, Marion East. All right. So, um, yeah, when you're not working and
0: providing us with uh, uh, vessels to enjoy this uh, brown spirit, where where can we find you? What are you doing? Where are you playing
1: golf at? Absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually in. Uh, funny enough, everybody would think I was, I was probably in Kentucky, which I obviously lived there one time. But we got an opportunity to move down south, so we're in Valdosta, Georgia. Where only people that probably know it is when, like I said, you travel down to Florida if you're going down 75 and you have to stop to go to the bathroom, right? And I hear I hear we're getting a Bucky. So if that's the case, we'll probably I would, be. In I, would just, yeah. I was just I was just going to ask if you've got a Bucky's yet? Cause I, I one, hear uh, it's coming.
0: I hear it's there's, coming. there's so, yeah, there's one a little bit north of Rome. So yeah. I, I'm I'm originally from Tennessee, so yeah. I you know I frequent the uh the twenty-four corridor to to and So yeah. yeah. But uh let me tell you what, I went to Bucky's one time, my girlfriend said, Oh, let's stop here. Actually, she may have been driving and she pulled into there. It, it's it, that's a one and done for me man i, I can't uh <laughs> i can i can't handle it. i mean it i i can appreciate uh the you know what the raving fans uh find amusing about it for them i can't find it amusing for me if my ass is on the road i've got a destination and i'm trying to get from point a yeah, to point b yeah not been
1: 45 <laughs> minutes in a gas <laughs> station right yeah no, Absolutely I mean, it's, not. I think for me, it's it's interesting. I like it that the fact that you know what you're going to get. So if you like you said, if you're north of Atlanta, you know you're going to get there. If you go to obviously the Warner Robins area, and then now if you stop in about up you you only have to stop at Bucky's. It's a brilliant strategy. That's right. Um, but I will say, like uh, the morning is my thing. Like if I like tomorrow, I got to go up to Atlanta for work and uh, I'm laughing because I'm like I'll stop there and get a brisket taco. They got really good brisket tacos, egg and tacos for breakfast. That's probably the one thing I go there and get, but um but yeah about us is funny because my my wife's from here obviously so we got the opportunity to potentially move down here and obviously during covid and all that and and work from home and and so yeah we we have family here we've lived all over the place like all over the world and kind of decided we're going to call this place home and as you know it's hotter than crap in the summer um so it's it's not it's not easy but being a a kid from the midwest and not dealing with snow playing golf year-round that was an easy sell for me so Um, Yeah, uh, play down at Kinderloo Forest Golf Club. If uh, obviously anybody doesn't know it, it's a little hidden gem. I would say down here in South Georgia. I would just recommend coming probably now, even all during the winter, or probably ending in probably September, maybe going October, because like I said, those middle months get hot. But uh, it's it's a Davis Love designed golf course, 7,700 yards. So if you want to get all of it from the tips, you can. But um, yeah, it's a great one. I won't need that. I won't no, that. I don't either. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> we don't play those stuff. So. Um but no, it's a great little great little spot for a, a guy's golf trip for sure. If you want to kind of go to a place that's just a little bit off the beaten path, you can I think they're gonna start doing some more stay in plays and probably building some more cabins and stuff. So definitely have to come down and visit it. It's nice. Okay. So do they have cabins there now? Is it a they have some townhouses cabins? right now and they're getting ready okay. to uh, probably in the next couple of years add in some more for, for those type of events. Um but yeah, I mean you're obviously close to the beach, which is nice, but obviously it's not close to anywhere. So if you're coming here just to play golf, hang out and drink, have fun, I mean, it's, it's actually a good little trip. But, uh, yeah, there's not going to be a big city to support you if you want to get all over the place for sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: I'm uh, i, I past that stage if I'm showing up to play golf. You know, some, uh, uh, so, some bourbon, some golf, you know, a few beers on the course. I, that's, uh, that's good enough for me. I may break out a stogie every now and then, but, you know. 100%. Um, okay. So why don't we got to let you go? But before we do, uh, we always like to wrap up with some fun questions and, uh, Dan, what you
1: got for him? Favorite club in the bag. Oh, I've been like in a two month, one of those little two month bumps, man. So, uh, it's funny. I laugh because I always thought playing year round, you actually would just get better. I figured out very quickly the people that have the hiatus in the winter, it's probably a good thing. So I've I've gotten to the situation where I was like thinking I'm in a great spot, you know, handicaps are going great and then boom, it's like hi. Right, so I would say uh, right now, if I had to pick, it would definitely be driver because I and, and no and no pun for or no uh, free access for tailor-made but I did get the new stealth and I actually oh. really like it I really like it I didn't know how I like it but it, it's it's definitely helped me a lot
0: Nice, but. nice yeah nice
1: what's um so in your
0: track so you you spend a lot of time in Kentucky uh even still if uh so it d- doesn't matter what city so it could be Louisville Bardstown you, you name it Jamestown I don't know why you'd be over there but it could be um where are you sending people? What, what's your favorite spot when you're in Kentucky? What do you get excited about? So to two parts, what restaurant gets you excited? You're like, Oh shit, I'm going to be there. I can't wait to go there and eat. What are you eating? And then any golf courses when you're in a certain area that you're like, uh, yep, definitely taking the sticks and getting out there.
1: Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the food situation, I'll be honest, it's interesting. Lexington and Louisville, um, apparently there's a culinary school close by. So there's some really good restaurants. So there's very heavy in chefs and everything. But I will say, um, if I had to pick that whole little area, Georgetown, Kentucky, right, which is in between Frankfort and Lexington, it's kind of a little bit off the beaten path. There's a restaurant there called Local Feed. Local Feed. Um, they have a dusty bourbon collection, which is really nice. So there's a lot of vintage whiskey in there. And it's always like... A chalkboard menu. They have their staples, but it's mostly a chalkboard menu where the chef says, I'm making this. It might be Asian inspired one day. It might be something totally different, mm-hmm. more Kentucky cool. Southern. It I've never had a bad thing. I, I'm a I'm a creature of habit. So a lot of times I'm like, I want that. But I've every time I've been there, I say, just give me whatever the special is and it's always phenomenal. Um so yeah, they got really good bourbon selection, local feed in Georgetown would be the would be the restaurant. Um I will say, golf course wise, you know, um, it's it's private, but I'm sure you can find somebody, obviously, that maybe can get you on. But my little hidden gym is where we used to live in Frankfort, Kentucky. I think the Frankfort Country Club is what it is right there. Okay. And it's an older course, um, but it is one of my favorite layouts it's a great little layout um it's got a it's got a par three i think it's number 10 um it's like a very up your you tee off from way above like 200 feet above and it's really neat kind of interesting little thing and um but yeah it's always well manicured and beautiful shape and yeah anytime i go back i'm like i try to get around there with somebody i know because it's, it's fantastic
0: i just met a guy that can get me on what are you talking about i just got to make sure the dates <laughs> coincide yeah,
1: yeah we can do that we can do that <laughs> Uh, yeah, a little, little, uh, public, uh I will say public is tough though, because it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of decent ones in there around, around the Louisville area. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a, there's a decent amount of them, but yeah, um, blending up in Frankfurt, there's a little part three course, but the guy that runs the greens or the greenskeeper actually plays on the mini tours. So he keeps the greens like perfect. And it's this little podunk. I really? was across the street from my house. I would just walk over there and you could walk it. It's like two, it's like twenty bucks you and, it, and it's actually pretty fun to play too. So there's another one there. Yeah. Nice.
0: Have you so in, in the time that you spent up there? Uh, so we had Dixon Deadman, uh, formerly of Kentucky Owl. I think he's got another thing he's doing now. Um, he was talking about Rick D's course, which is a nine-hole golf course. Have you ever played that?
1: I'm not. I've not heard of that. It sounds familiar though. I'm trying to think. For you
0: know that. who I'm talking about? Like the Rick D's top forty guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think it's in the northwest. So I think it's Northwest of Louisville. I could be wrong. It could be Southwest. I think it's on the West side for sure. And, but yeah, it's like his private nine hole golf course. And I guess the story is like, if you go to play there, whoever you go with, it's probably going to be you and whoever's with you, nobody else. And the um, I'll call him the greenskeeper superintendent. He follows you around the golf course. And so after you've, you know, hold out on number one, he changes the pin and moves it so when you make the turn, number nine how, now has a different hole location. That's so, pretty cool. You know, that sounds like a yeah, good experience. Uh, I guess when you got your own top forty show, you can you, know, you can do yeah. stuff like that. So
1: yeah, I would have loved to have said like, yeah, my favorite club is Bahala, but yeah, don't worry, I'm not that impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, never t- never stayed or touched foot on that golf course. So. Oh,
0: I think I can make that happen. A friend of the show actually, I don't know how much I should say. Let's just say a friend of the show said uh, they know Valhalla very well. And uh, it is it is on my roster. Uh, the next time I'm back up there in that area, I don't well, really care if I'm in that area. If, if I got time, if somebody drops I'm out, that yeah. If
1: somebody drops out, you let me know and tell them I will be happy to change one of these out if I need <laughs> to and put, put them over. And by the way, I don't want to give her free advertisement, but I think this gal is from Atlanta, and I love these golf course friends. They're fantastic. It's like Claire W. Design or something. Cool. Um, oh yeah, Claire W. Yeah, she's fantastic. I don't know. Um, but yeah, she, they're really reasonable. And I just think they look real good. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a funny story. M- my Beam stuff used to be behind here. And then, when obviously I got into my new gig, yeah, you know, you don't want to just have Jim Beam. I got the barrel head signed by Fred No when I left. You know, everybody was giving me thanks. Congratulations, Luke. And uh, I used to have that all here. And then I was like, yeah, I'd probably need to change that up. So that, that's over on the other wall. And then I got, you know, so. Very mm-hmm. uh, cool. Yeah. I like the golf course prints. They're cool. They are.
0: Yeah, Dan, what you wrapping up with? Bud? What's your uh, what's your go to sipper?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. So I'm I'm gonna laugh about this. But this is one of my projects when I was at Beam, and I have it here because I'm bringing it to a buddy tomorrow. <laughs> Funny enough, it just happened to be next to me. But repeal batch. Ooh, oh, nice, nice. So hey. this this dude right here, I knew the guy that did the liquid development on this, and he he cherry picked the best barrels they went out and did this you know wanted to do it for repeal day and I, we never they never put the marketing behind it they just kind of put it on shelf and didn't you know really do anything so it sat next to Jim Beam before you knew it it was like I think it was less than white label at one point point. and the people the cult people that knew it was good it was a good liquid they were like they bought cases of it i mean i heard people when i was in kentucky buying cases of it and uh luckily because it was one of my projects i obviously got a decent amount of it so i, I have enough to last for a little while so i'll get you all a bottle i'll try mm-hmm. to send you one awesome um, but no it's, it's really it's really solid i mean it's just it's uncut unfiltered so that non-chill filtered situation mm-hmm. makes oh my gosh it makes everything so much better awesome. So yeah great answer probably yeah. my go-to that's awesome uh, let's
0: see. So we usually don't like to date the show. I don't think. I, I think I've actually I've done a decent job at not dating the show yet. But now I'm gonna. That's <laughs> all going to hell right now. So uh, this will probably release next week, I think. And uh, well, what's happening next week is the PGA Championship. So we so we can't get out of here with uh, with an early lean. Any any bets made already? And if
1: not, what are you thinking? So, you know, I saw JT posted a um, mm-hmm. picture with him and Jordan out there. I tell you what, that course looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just looking at the, it looks unbelievable. So I'm excited to watch, you know, watch everybody uh, there. You know, I hate to say it, you know, I love to pick like a JT or somebody, but I'm telling you, man, the way Scotty Scheffler, the way Scotty Scheffler goes about his business, and I mean, it just seems like that dude is on fire and yeah. I don't know what it is about it, but I like the way he's doing it. And I think he's still in good form. It's hard to, you think if somebody wins, they're not going to win again. He's clearly blown that out of the water. Yeah. So, I mean, if he could pick up a Masters in a PGA, I would be, it, I, it would be crazy, but I, I think he could do it. Yeah. He could. Oh, j- just think about this. Think
0: about this. If he wins the PGA championship now, now the only thing we're talking about for the rest of the golf season it's a grand slam. You're right. It's the only thing we're talking about. Now the good news is it's a short enough time window that we ain't gonna have to talk about it very long. So sure. so that's the thing. It ain't gonna get old, right? Because we've got what month and a two month window maybe that we that we're gonna have to get all that uh, get that content in, but holy shit. Talk about Talk about golf just setting itself on a whole new level from what they've already done from the you know, the pandemic and the position that they took. Uh yeah. And, and I can't disagree with you, sir, in uh Scotty Scheffler getting this done. So I, I think it could easily happen.
1: I, I was listening to the PJ Tour radio and they were talking about how he's just a normal guy at the club down there at Royal Oaks. Like he plays with the same group of old guys on Friday, like and he showed up yeah. the same time the next Friday after he won the Masters and probably beat the Sox up some, as a plus 10 right <laughs> probably gave him 25 strokes around and they still killed right. him beat the break still swept him I, yeah okay. it sounds like to me he's got the right middle game yeah. clearly and he just kind of goes about his thing the right way and i'm excited to see what he does this year for sure So yeah, absolutely yeah ab- absolutely
0: yeah garrett uh it's been a pleasure sir thanks for uh thanks for sharing your professional insight on uh the uh beverage packaging industry as fun as like as uninteresting as that sound it's actually pretty damn interesting so uh, from a consumer's point of view and uh yeah i'm definitely we're taking you up on the invite we'll be there uh we'll be there soon we'll get something scheduled and uh yeah lose in our uh in our future bud
1: yeah come on down and, and i'll let you know you need to bring one of your new imperial ads because these guys i saw your new one it's really good so i'm excited about that one awesome you got it, bud.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the support, man. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Cheers.
1: Cheers.